0: Hello and welcome to Wizards, Warriors, and Words, a fantasy writing advice podcast. I'm Jed Hearn, author of The Thunder Heist.
4: Rob. Uh, I'm Rob Hayes, author of some books.
3: I'm Michael Laird Fletcher, author of Beyond Redemption, the Manifest Delusion series, which will never be finished, but fuck all of you. (laughs) That's an
2: exclusive,
4: an exclusive.
2: You heard it here first. I'm um, Dirk Ashton. Uh, author of the Paternus Trilogy.
0: And we are joined by Anna Smith-Spark. Anna, would you like to introduce yourself to our audience?
1: Hi, I'm Anna Smith-Spark, author of the Empires of Dust trilogy, the Court of Broken Knives, Tower of Living and Dying, and the House of Sacrifice.
0: Awesome. And today's episode is going to be our second listener Q&A session. So thank you to everyone who sent in a question, whether that was emailing me or commenting on one of our YouTube videos or some other means that I've off the top of my a head. Yeah, carrier pigeon. That's that's good as well. Smoke signals too. I'm willing to receive any type of uh, communication format. Um, if you do have any other questions that you would like to send through to us, you can email wizardswarriorswords at gmail.com. The link, the, that email address will also be in the show notes. Uh, and we that'll a, go into our yeah. listener question banks for future episodes. But to kick things off, how can you avoid creating a world that is too complicated or unfamiliar and will drive readers away?" asks Cade Kessler. Anna, do you want to maybe start off on this?
1: Oh, goodness. I mean, um, so I quite like very unfamiliar worlds. Oh god, that's a kind of unanswerable question in some ways. I mean, if you're just making it weird for weir- weird's sake, then I guess there comes a point when you're kind of, well, this, it will just become implausible I think a lot of it comes down as we we're saying in the last episode about prose a lot of it comes down to your own conviction if you can carry it off and you've either got it sufficiently worked out or you've just got confidence to wing it it it's having that confidence in the world you're creating so the world I'm I created is the world of empires of dust it is not a coherent world there's people use bronze weaponry, so it's just little things like people use bronze weaponry and then sometimes they randomly use iron, weapon, iron weaponry and sometimes they go back to using bronze weaponry and that kind of, and you have kind of cities from different historical, it's, it's just a kind of weird mishmash of all my favourite historical periods and kind of So So Lost is kind of based on Sil- the Silk Road Samarkand and Byzantium and Yates' Byzantium but then the people in the White Isles are kind of based on Dark Age Britain and then there's some stuff in there which is just straight out of classic high fantasy and there's all kinds of stuff there's kind of cavalry charges that are just ripped off Macedonian cavalry charges I didn't quite put howitzers in there but you know kind of but for me it's a coherent world and because I what I don't do is spend lots of time trying to justify it so sometimes we use bronze weaponry because I wanted to use the Homeric stuff about the killing bronze and sometimes we use iron weaponry because I wanted to talk about stuff like, you know, steel and kind of iron and that sort of, but what I don't ever do is justify it. I don't feel they ever need to have any kind of explanation for why this whole world just doesn't work or just doesn't actually kind of have any kind of coherence and explain stuff. What I always find actually totally unconvincing in fancy novels is that bit where someone sits down and kind of, can you just remind me why we celebrate our fantasy version of Christmas? <laughs>
3: <laughs> Let's just have a quick about the way the parents
1: is. And that kind of, because no one, no one ever does that. And two, if you try and, if you think about actually trying to explain to someone, I mean, the classic thing, of course, is the first time you bring a new girlfriend or boyfriend home to your parents for Christmas, for Christmas or Hanukkah or Eid, and you're trying to explain, you know, this is the way my family does it. And they're like, what that doesn't make any sense none of this makes any sense your family's festival traditions are just nuts and you're like no it's just the way we've done it and it's that kind of great analogy nothing ever makes sense if you try and explain it I mean as a historian I've spent years reading books where people try and actually make some kind of sense about things like the ancient Greeks belief system there's this famous book which is by a very, very rational French academic called, did the Greeks really believe in their gods? Because he's just like, Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, some story about some ranty guy who pursues a woman while in the the guise of a swan, like what? That doesn't make any sense. Like, no, it doesn't make any sense, does it? And that's that kind of, no culture makes sense. There's a whole Mm. genre of xenophobic comedy guides to other countries the whole point of which are that no country's culture makes sense to anyone outside that country and that is just going with that conviction I'm just going to write this world and put these people in it Um, I'm going to make the world the world the world works in your if the world works in your head and you have the conviction to keep writing it the world will work on the page and also this Mm. stuff doesn't matter no one is ever going to say but hang on I'm uh, slightly unconvinced by the economy of this city. Or if they do, they're probably not the really ones. <laughs> yeah. Great if they're point. really worried about the economic situation in your fantasy country that's being beset by dragons and evil dark lords, they probably should be not reading your book. You see what I mean? I mean,
4: I think this all... is that's part of it. You're never going to please everyone. So, yeah,
1: there's always going to be someone who will pick it apart and say, This is totally, from my vast experience of, Fantasy worlds being beset by dragons and caval—my vast experience of cavalry charges in heavy armor—I am. This is entirely unconvincing.
2: I think, it's, yeah. Um, too. I mean, from a practical standpoint, make world, make your worlds and your cultures as bizarre and strange as you like, but like Anna said, you don't have to explain it all. It it will as long as you know how it works. It will come through on the page. Um, two, um, no matter how strange, bizarre, uh, or different or complex it is, um, try not to go too far in in uh, unfamiliar vernacular, making up vernacular um, in um, you know uh, measurement systems that you just that you make up. Um, there, I mean, these things work, but it, you can go too far. Um, the seasons, the amount of seasons, um, the passage of time, how they tell time. you know, Instead of using hours, they use this. Instead of using that, they use this. That stuff, uh, I think, can, can throw people out more than anything else. For examples of really strange, bizarre worlds that are done extremely well, I mean, of course, I go back to him a lot because he's one of my very favorites, is Zelazny. Read Lord of Light, read uh, Creatures of Light and Darkness, um, read Shadow Jack, incredibly strange, bizarre physics and worlds um, and things happening, um, like just kind of mind-blowingly bizarre stuff that makes sense. Um, just because of the way he writes um, would be a, a really good example, I think.
4: I, mean, I, I honestly think, like, you're, you're, you're never really going to create a world that's too weird, that, pe- that there isn't going to be an audience that can connect with it. Um, in the same way, that you're probably never going to create a world that's weirder than this one that we live in, that <laughs> is just utterly bizarre. I tweeted out yesterday, um, just because it was on my brain, um no matter how weird your monster is going to be just remember that you know a muscle is basically a tongue wrapped in armor
2: uh-huh i saw <laughs> that tweet
4: <laughs> weird
1: like, muscle is
4: weird and yet it's real
2: <laughs> and people eat it
4: um <laughs> <laughs> so you're never going to be weirder than real life uh, no matter how much you really try um and you're never going to be more complex than real life either and no matter how complex a world you create as long as you have a handle of what's going on and why has been said that you know it's 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 okay as long as it makes sense to you as long as you've got a handle on everything it's going to be okay just look at you know um someone like brandon sanderson who his, his Stormlight Archive uh, world is just incredibly complex and just there's so much going on in so many different places. And that's part of a larger universe where there's bits going on all over the place. It's so, so complex. But because he knows where it's all going, what's going on everything, it comes across in the page and it all makes sense. So, yeah, like, indulge the weird, indulge indulge the complex. Just make sure you've got it right in your head and make it
3: work on the page,
0: right. somehow. Mike, do you have um, anything to add to that? I totally agree that. I would about go that. with
3: um, er, and fuck. And uh, I, I think Rob did that pretty well.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Good. Picky and concise, thank you. Um, so we got another question here. This one is probably more of a briefer one. Uh, Yasin Moin asks, do any of you guys take inspiration from Magic the Gathering, or its gameplay, for your no. world building or magic systems? <laughs> no.
4: Um. OK. Uh, I'd answer this one first because uh, I've, I've recently written uh, a book, which is the start of a trilogy, um, which nobody else has read yet because it's with my agent and, you know, he likes it. So hopefully uh, it's going to find a home soon. But the, the magic system is very much uh, based on um, you know, deck type games uh, it's like Magic the Gathering or I used to play like... Um, Arkham Horror and uh, even the Game of Thrones card game. I, I love card games like that. Um, and it's very much that sort of uh, almost like a gamble where you have a deck and you pull something and you don't know what it's going to be. Uh, so, you know, it might be like, hey, here's a fireball. or It might be like, hey, here's a fish. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that sounds uh, awesome. So,
4: yes, I definitely take inspiration from those sorts of things to the point where I've created a magic system, which is kind of like playing that game not like the like the world just like playing that game i'm so
0: excited to read that that sounds awesome What well, i I, I missed
2: sorry i missed my my internet connection got weird uh i missed the question what was the, the question, question
0: was do any of us take inspiration from magic the gathering um the card game for its gameplay or your world building on magic systems
2: uh no uh, <laughs> easy just because i've never played um, and I'm not uh, an RPG player. Not that I have any problem with doing that. I just never, I never got into it, so. Awesome, Yeah, all I've right. never
1: played, um, I've never played card games. I've Partly because I'm so mal-coordinated, i drop all the cards. Um, no, I play, I used to play a lot of d and um, And actually one of the few joys of lockdown, I've been getting my children into playing DD. and d They're probably gonna, with their granddad actually, which is really cool. Um, and um, but I've and I use, I've got a bit of an obsession with Warhammer miniatures. I've never played Warhammer in my life, and I've got a bit of a obsession with the 40k miniatures, particularly Chaos Marines. I used to I, I don't really world build, and I don't have magic systems. I just sort of I mean I don't I don't create I don't world build first. I just kind of it just sort of happens as I'm writing. I just say whatever. If that helps you write, then that's brilliant. No, whatever helps you write, that's brilliant. Go with it.
0: Great answer. Yeah, I totally agree on that. Um, we got another question here. Hi from Brazil, guys. First of all, congratulations on the show. I really appreciate your work and guidance for new authors is always welcome since writing is so fantastic, but complex too. Um, I wrote a Western novel called, which for you may be something like The Rancher, The Gunslinger, and The Devil. And now I'm looking towards fantasy. My main problem with writing is when to write. I'm the king of procrastination. And even when my head is full of ideas and scenes and dialogues, I transfer my attention to video games or reading other books. So I'd like to ask you guys, how do you maintain focus? And what time of day do you think it's best for writing? Thanks a bunch for your attention. And please continue this amazing work. And that comes from Gustavo Quadros. Anna, do you want to maybe kick us off? And this can sort of broaden into a. I suppose a general discussion about your writing routine if you choose to take it in that direction so
1: I just make myself write um well I mean I have two days I work part-time three days I work in an office job three days a week and then I have two days of the week which are my writing days and before lockdown I had two days a week where I'd commute I worked two days a week in the office and one day a week at home and in those two days a week I was commuting I get the train to work so I have time I can write, and if I don't write in that time, that's it for the week. So, mm-hmm. at the moment, two days, and that is the only time in the week I get to write. So, if I don't write in those two days, that's it for another week. And I am now sufficiently invested in my writing that I feel guilty and not right if I don't write in those two weeks. So, it's just a habit I've trained myself into. And I think that is the main thing. It's basically like everything in life, exercise, anything. If you make yourself do it, it becomes more and more of a habit. It's the really hard thing is that kind of everyone procrastinates. Everyone always finds something else to do. There's that <laughs> point when you realize you're reading last week's TV guide mm-hmm. in some really bizarre <laughs> <kind of. laughs>
0: just in case you need a time travel back a week earlier and you need to watch yes. something on tv yes. while you're waiting for whoever you're trying yes. to assassinate to walk out and of it's, the room
1: yeah. there's a quote from i think it's neil gaiman or somebody something about writing is the thing uh, the success to writing is when you somehow feel like you'd rather pull your own teeth out than write you want to make yourself right
2: and you're but still right
1: yeah i had the discipline of I would write on the train into work in the morning and when the train got into the station that was it and if I didn't take use of that time it was wasted but um I used to write in the evening before, rather than watching television and it is like it's 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 like anything in life you have to make yourself do it if you actually I often say to people um so I knew people who talk about things like they're going to go off in a writing retreat. Had someone really told me this really the saddest thing I ever heard about writing was somebody who told me that when they retired, they're going to write a novel because when they retired, oh. they were going to go and stay in a writing retreat and they were going to go and write totally uninterrupted and it would be wonderful, but they had to wait until they retired. It's not going to happen. <laughs> I know. And you're just like, just. I mean, the, before this, before we started recording this, there was a conversation about writing. So writing for me, I've, yes, I was paid to write those three books. But it's, it's a hobby. And yeah, I could not do it. There is no, it's not like my office job where obviously someone will notice if I don't do it. I could just not do it. But I've just, it's a hobby that I've started to make myself to do. Like any hobby, it would be easier sometimes not to do it just to sit on the sofa with my feet up reading last week's TV guide. And I've just left my ass and do it. And that, that's all I can say, really. It just, if you really want to do it, find the time to do it and force yourself to do it. And it does get more and more of a habit the more you do it. It just becomes... And, and, and sometimes
2: sometimes you you don't find out if you really want to do it until you try it, make yourself try it. Um, yeah, I mean, just like Anna said, i it's different for everyone. Um, I mean, people are on all kinds of schedules. Um, some people most early, most first-time writers uh, have uh, other jobs. So that, you know, families, they have other things that they have to take care of. Um, But uh, I read, there was one author who said, you have to defend your writing time to the teeth, to the teeth, Mm -hmm. Um, because if you don't, it will always be, it will always be delegated down. It will always not be a priority. So it's like, like Anna said, it's like working out. If you're going to work out, you've got to set a time and you've got to go do it. Um, Like, uh, but it's going to work better. Some people write much better in the mornings than they do in the afternoons. Some people write better in the evenings. Um, That's when time is good for them too. Um, You want to find a balance between what time you have and when you can carve it out, because you do, you have to carve it out, and, and when is best for you. Um, like, my brain doesn't work real well late in the evening, at night, so I can't write at night. Um, luckily, with the kind of job that I have, I can write either in the more, I either do my day job in the morning and then write in the afternoons or do my writing in the morning and do my day job in the afternoons, and I have the choice to do that. Um, and uh, I'm going to be starting on a schedule where I have to make sure that I get that writing time in, I'm going to do it in the morning. It's just going to be the first thing I do every day. And anything else will just have to, af- after lunch, will just have to get done or not get done and get pushed to the next day. Um, Actually. Because, uh, you know, I have to, I have to have that schedule and instead of writing seven days a week, I'm, I'm moving to five days a week um, because of certain circumstances that, that are changing. So
1: I'd actually, I'd really say to anyone here listening who has child childcare responsibilities, which I do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't write at weekends because I can't at the moment because um, there's just nothing else. <laughs> it's not fair on my children to do anything yeah. on the weekend because I feel so awful. <laughs> But, um so actually the thing you often hear from women particularly is sort of you know the guilt I they abandon their children with the children's father or with their parents or whoever to do some writing and that seems like you know they could have been doing something helpful and educational with the children or they could have been you know, cleaning the house for the children so it was a better environment or cooking dinner or whatever and actually the inspiration you're giving your children and hey mommy's going off to write a book now mm-hmm. and you know, because writing books is important and writing is important and enjoyable. You know, that, that's actually the most wonderful bit of childcare, telling your children just bugger off and watch television for a couple of hours because mommy needs to write a book because that's, you know, <laughs> writing isn't just this awful thing that your teacher stands over you at work or making you do that you have to do to pass exams and stuff. It's this wonderful thing that adults do that's hugely enjoyable and can sometimes even make some money. You know, mm-hmm. think, think of writing, a, think of taking some time out for your book and telling your children just sort off to do can write as an incredible incredible piece of childcare, you know, incredibly inspiring. You are inspiring your children to go out through writers as well.
0: Agreed. And That's a great to thing to add. That, and that.
1: you don't need to do the ironing. And it's fine to stick your children in front of the computer for four hours because when they grow up and they have a real love of reading and writing and that helps them in their career and their life generally, then you can feel proud. Of
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, I love that. Thank you so much. That's actually a really good point. And um, yeah, good to, good to get that perspective. Um,
2: Or you can just write at work all day like Mike does.
0: (laughs) Yes. Actually, this next question might appeal to Mike because Robert asks, is there an unstated agreement between the writer and the reader for the author to finish a series? (laughs) Does the author owe the reader nothing but the current book? Well, let's, let's spin this around. Does the reader
3: owe the author a purchase of a book? If I write a book, if I write the sequel, do they have to buy it? Because if they have to buy it, then I would agree. I have to write it. Then there's a, like a contract. We're both getting something. But if I'm going to write and spend a year writing and editing a book, which is a fucking huge chunk of my life, and then you have the option of like, man, fuck it, I don't feel like reading the next one. <laughs> How is this fair? Like, where, why, why, is, why is the responsibility being heaped on Rob to write my next book? I mean, he's, he's stressed enough.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah I've, I've, I've got that one uh, on its way to you soon
2: yeah i <laughs> great I, answer great yeah, answer i gave i gave i gave it i gave mine to rob too so what the hell
0: it's busy I gave that one to ben <laughs> what a... <laughs> anna what do you think on this uh, subject
1: oh see it is really so yeah i mean it's really hard because obviously I mean, I was contracted to write three novels. I'd, when I got the book, The Empire of the Dust, I had written the first book. I had not written the second book or the third book, and I was contractually obliged to write those three book, write the other two books. And I am very small league that you know, if I had not written the third book, I assume bad things would have happened, like people would have started talking about, could they have the money they paid me back, please? And yeah, it is It is so frustrating when a series isn't finished. It is just, particularly in a genre where a lot of fan- modern fantasy does revolve around things like reveals and that kind of, I mean, not to mention any names when you've set up, but when you've set up your first two books with all the kind of mystery that will be revealed in book three, and then you haven't written down book three. <laughs> it's not fair, but neither of those authors are ever going to finish those books because if either of the the authors that we are all referring to were going to finish those damn books they'd have finished them by now it is they are as far as i can see they are now in the position that we would be any of us would be in if someone suddenly said to us you know that piece of creative writing homework you have to do when you're at secondary school that you never finish can you do it for me now please I can't even remember what it was about. I know I would rather read Last Week's TV Guide five times <laughs> because they'd have finished them by now. And if they do finish them, they will be so rubbish because they, the authors will be sitting there. Just, I have just got to type this enough to finish it. I've just got to get the word count up.
4: They clearly I don't really want to write it anymore. So they're being forced to. I mean, write it's write so, write.
1: so difficult. Is the curse of these of series again? Sort of most. Um, oh my God! There's a lorry manoeuvre outside my door. I've heard, so if a voice suddenly starts shouting "caution," this vehicle it's is. Those conversing. authors
0: having sent a uh, lorry assassin to take you. Out. <laughs> um,
1: but I mean, <laughs> Mocha's books didn't you, people didn't used to write great big long series. I mean, look, this is the this is this, this is a Moorcock novel. It's like that thin. It's like I mean that's like one chapter. <laughs> 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 Most modern novels, it, but there must come a point where you're just like, I just don't care anymore. That was actually a wonderful thing. I, like, I mean, you just like, I just don't care anymore. This is just, you know, you've written so many words, you must just feel like I just don't care anymore. So it is really difficult because I do feel incredibly annoyed that the basic, contr- a ba- if you're going to set it up a big mystery that's going to be revealed, it is a bit like right, writing a crime novel and then not writing. The final two chapters, and it is really annoying. Those books aren't going to be worth reading when they are, if they are ever published, as far as I can see now. Maybe they will get someone
0: else. To- still have hope. I feel. I really hope. I don't. That's wrong. Um, but yeah, I can totally see <laughs> that uh, my hope <laughs> may be misplaced. But I, I really do hope that I can be proven wrong and that it will be an artistic triumph like we have never seen. But. Um, yeah, that's that's fair enough. I, I accept what you're saying there. I um, I love your
4: enthusiasm and your your naivety.
0: <laughs> it won't last. <laughs> we'll see. It's we'll see. important to remember. Um, I say this uh, every
4: every episode, well, in every group of episodes. that Jed's very young.
0: Yes, I, I barely got out of my uh, got out of my driver's What Martin
1: recently. needs to do is release. <laughs> A piece of paper which just solves all the wretched conundrums and mysteries like how is it Daenerys is going to maybe who ends up sitting on the Iron Throne who are the three heads of the dragon and it just needs to be published in a really nice shiny cover with some nice pictures
2: One just a bunch of reveals just like we we don't need the chapters just tell us we
1: just need a couple of bullet points explaining we just need some bullet points here just giving us the, the the answers and then it's like a quiz answer now really isn't it we just, we just need to tell us what the answers are and then we can all be happy and move on and if I had a nice cover that would probably be a bonus
2: I'd buy just it some good covers.
1: All right. yeah I know um, we'd all buy it
0: so perhaps last question before we start wrapping up this particular Q&A session um, how do you go about handling me? race, me so religion far. and gender stereotypes in fantasy asks Cade Kessler who wants to of kick this one off
3: oh geez i I, my answer will just get me in trouble okay great (laughs) i
0: suppose i have a a somewhat heavy question question to end this episode on on. but um it is one that i do want to sort of get people's takes on
2: you know i um they're like i i kind of oh
1: god sorry i'm gonna go and shut the window sorry
2: oh yep no worries go ahead i um i kind of skate between two approaches um one is uh, make sure that I offend everyone equally. Um, <laughs> the, the other is the other is um, uh, treat them with treat 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 them with respect. Um, uh, treat them as 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 real people. Um, um, their cultures re- with respect. Um, don't don't state. Um, uh, try to stay away from the stereotypes as much as possible um, and don't um, and don't uh, don't try to play favorites too much. Um, that's kind of what I did. And also don't try not to state if you don't know something about a culture or life, of a person of a certain race or gender or sexual orientation, or um, they and uh, if you don't know, don't state facts about about things. Um, and and know and know that even if you do use a stereotype, um, I've been accused uh, a little bit um, by uh, of stereotyping one of the one of the gay characters. In the way he uh, in the way he acts, um, but what I did, I based that character on um, several of my very best friends who are gay, and um, they uh, I also had them and others um, in the gay community read those sections um, and tell me is this offensive, and they were like, absolutely not. Oh my God, that's me. And, um, and luckily I've had uh, a number of gay readers who love that character. Um, one guy, just one reader just recently in the last few weeks said, oh my God, this is me um, in the body of a 300 pound footballer. Um, and uh, so um, that, that feels pretty good. Oddly enough, uh, the criticisms that I've gotten um, were from people who were not gay, um, so I found that I found that interesting, um, or at least had never experienced any of the of some of the people like my friends in the gay community in Columbus, Ohio, right? Um, so and this 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 part of the story takes place in Ohio, so it, it's um. It's a fine line, and you, and honestly, you can't please everyone. But yeah. but try to be respectful. Try not to just do stereotypes. Um, and you know, everyone is a complex person, um, no matter what. You know, so um, try to stay away from two-dimensional. It's very co- it's very obvious in a book when you're reading, and some of the main characters or whatever are. From your culture and race, and they feel much more, um, or the writer's culture and race, and they feel much more three dimensional. And then suddenly, you run into, you know, a, a character from another culture, um, or or any other kind of diverse background, and suddenly they're very two dimensional. I mean, I've read books where it's just like, it's just like night and day, um, and that that is something you just have to. Write those characters the same way you write yours, only from a slightly different perspective. For me.
0: Anna, do you want to chip in? Something
3: uh, Dirk said there. uh, Write them as you would, you know, characters from your culture. Kind of part of what my approach is, uh, both with sexuality, race, gender, whatever. um, Entirely, I don't care. I do not (coughs) give a fuck about anybody's sexual preferences, race. I just, I don't give a shit. It's not interesting to me. But, I write the story and then afterwards i go through and randomly gender flip people and relationships and then change nothing um and they come out i think more honest um because now you haven't written oh this is a you know homosexual relationship you just you wrote a relationship the way you saw it and then you flip genders on one of the characters or both or not mm-hmm. um and if suddenly it seems awkward to you, then I think maybe it's it's pointing out a um a bias you know, have a bias yeah a, a fly in 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 your approach um or how you're seeing things.
0: That is a That's great right. answer, and I've done that a lot as well. It's it's interesting you bring that up because like at the moment I'm writing an interactive fiction game where the genders of certain characters change depending on certain player choices. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a great exercise in doing exactly what you're having to do. You're basically having to consider your, I suppose, like inherent assumptions approaching certain things in a way that forces you to write stuff that is hopefully more balanced and more, I suppose, like equal as a whole. So yeah, that's something I've found very useful as well, just to back you up there.
1: Again, read widely is probably the answer to almost everything that, again, the more voices you hear, the more disparate voices from outside your own experience you're exposed to the more you're going to think about other people and other other perspectives so again which is also kind of why sometimes I think reading outside the genre is really important because you let's face it you probably are going to expose be exposed to wider range of different cultural backgrounds and life experiences if you're reading outside the genre because the genre can be quite narrow in its authorship it's just something that we're all having to live with and accept and try and widen it, trying to get the genre widened out it's important that's one of the reasons why it's important to widen the genre widen your kind of authorship we have in the genre but yeah write, read really widely and just think and also think so think about things like um so even if you think you're writing colorblind or genderblind as it were so there was a thing recently the um there's a book called no- sally rooney's book normal people which is about two it's not it's not a fantasy novel it's a novel about two people in two people and two young people in ireland who have a relationship is literally just about normal people and when they fit the bbc did a television adaptation of it and they decided they would cast colorblind unfortunately because no one was thinking about who are we casting for the character they were thinking about well we're going to cast, uh, try and cast a diverse cast to represent, you know, obviously to reflect modern Ireland as a diverse country, but they didn't think about who they'd cast in each particular role and what was discovered, what they discovered afterwards was totally without thinking. The two protagonists were white, which they probably had speakers of two protagonists in the book were white and it would have been slightly, but they somehow managed to cast people of Afro-Caribbean heritage as the three as three the three most antagonistic characters in the book. Not because anyone had ever at any point gone out and thinking, oh, we need to cast the three bad people as black, but because they thought we will cast this colourblind, it had just happened, as it were. Now, that's the kind of thing, it was not in any way intentional, it was actually from the best, started off from the very best of intentions, but it had this really unfortunate Kind of all the bad characters are dark-skinned and all the the two kind of positive that the hero and the heroine are both white and it's that just thinking not just thinking about basic things like are all my characters white because that you know you should be way beyond that now if anyone is looking at that book and thinking oh my god oh i wonder if maybe i should introduce one person who isn't white skinned but one person who's gay or one person who has some kind of disability we should not be having this conversation, we should be having a totally separate conversation what world do you live in? But is thinking more than that, have I, some have I written, have I created a really good, really, really cool, convincing, well-written, rounded character who's from a different culture to me? But are they the baddie? Could they maybe not be the baddie? Or are they the witty sidekick who dies in book two? And then we feel very sad, but they're dead. And then, you know, it's making that thinking about that kind of assumption, looking at what you've actually done and thinking about that, that kind of what is this character? Why why am I just being diverse for the sake of one? Am I just being diverse for the sake of being diverse? Because that will show in your book. If you are just thinking, oh my God, I suppose I'd probably better put in someone who's gay and have a little stuff about how they're in a gay relationship actually nothing ever happens to them or they die tragically or they're actually the baddie. That was probably you know thinking about actually why you've done stuff. And what really, really irritates me now is the kind of well this is this is this is is a sort of fantasy novel set in a version of the Middle Ages. So it's 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 only right that all the powerful characters are white and we have a couple of characters who are black slaves or something. Well that one you're not writing history you're writing fantasy, two that's not actually if you're writing history that would be totally historically inaccurate so don't give me that just write a properly fully diverse world that represents the world as it is now and in fact the world is it always out the world now if you're writing European fantasy actually Europe has always been hugely diverse and it's just it's utterly ludicrous for people to say it wasn't otherwise obviously there were probably smaller number of people from non-white European backgrounds living in Britain, for example, in the Tudor period, but there were. They um, um there were quite a you know, so don't give me that, that it's that historically inaccurate because, one, it isn't, and also you're writing fantasy. So write a world which is diverse and complicated as the modern world that we live in now and the world is in fact, has always been, and think about why you're doing it and think about what your characters are doing and don't accidentally end up with some kind of, oh, well, it accidentally turned out all the, the characters who weren't white, blonde were baddies somehow because I didn't mean that to happen Rob do you a-
0: have any last thoughts oh great <laughs> <laughs> oh, All
3: right. sorry I, I, that I'm was a massive round because it's
1: something that really matters to me actually it is something that kind of it is something that matters to me that kind of and it's something that is still so easy I mean like the kind of particularly sort of race about kind of things like Islam or about kind of, not in fact so much about kind of blackness but about Asianness. If you look at Game of Thrones, I mean I remember saying to someone how incredibly racist about the East Game of Thrones is and they were kind of, oh well, yeah it does all get a bit Indiana Jones doesn't it? And as soon as you go to Estros, it's all kind of weirdo, completely weirdo, deranged people who are shown as being weird and are shown as utterly unconvincing. And all, you think about all those Eastern cities that Daenerys gets involved with, which are all the most absurd Indiana Jones orientalist racist crap, because they're, they're never actually racially coded. Because we never actually talk about what colour their skin is. That's somehow acceptable, and that is something that I find so problematic about the genre, and that we really, really, that really needs to be dealt with, and really, really needs to be properly confronted.
0: Fair enough. Well, thanks for your uh, take on that. Um, I think this is a good time to wrap up this episode. So thank you everybody for listening. And if you have any other uh, questions that you would like to send in, again, that email will be in the show notes for this, wizardswarriorswords at gmail.com. Um, Anna, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. And for thank the you, Anna. episode we recorded as well.
1: Have I slowly disappeared into dark? <laughs> in my screen I'm sort of becoming increasingly blurred and dark. <laughs> Me it does
0: look like it's a bit darker than when we first started recording. I don't know what's with that. We'll just blame because because it's... It is getting dark outside.
1: Yeah that's because in England it's 20 to 4 and it is getting, it's a cloudy today in English winter which means it is getting dark at
0: 20 to 4. I'm,
2: g- I'm going to blame Jed.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes I have the power to influence the weather in England <laughs> because I am I had not put the light on when this dark began storm. and it is now. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you everyone for watching or listening and we will see you next Thanks, time. everybody. Bye, everybody.
1: Bye. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to Wizards, Warriors, and Words. We hope you learned something useful. We love hearing from our listeners. Our email is wizardswarriorswords at gmail.com, which you can also find in the show notes. I personally read and respond to every email. So feel free to let us know what you thought about this episode. We'd also love to hear your questions. Send in a question via that email wizardswarriorswords at gmail.com and we might even answer it on the show if you haven't already please subscribe and write a review on Apple Podcasts this helps more people discover the show Wizards Warriors and Words is jointly hosted by Dirk Ashton Michael R. Fletcher Rob J. Hayes and Jed Hearn our music comes from Michael R. Fletcher and our artwork is by Felix Ortiz thank you again for listening now go and write extraordinary stories